0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Open God's holy word to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. John chapter 15, our focus today will be on verses 15, 18 through 16, 4. I'll begin reading with chapter 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my Father's commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be full, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. That when their hour comes you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father forgive us. That alongside any righteous indignation at the preaching of the prosperity gospel, we will then grumble when persecution and hardship come our way. We have the same idols. Father, may we see Christ as precious above all and above life now. May we understand that life is short and fleeting. And you've given us a stage on which to magnify your name and you're worthy, no matter the cost, no matter the hours, no matter the work, no matter the labor it's worth. All that you may providentially put in our way. So may we not be shocked at suffering. May your spirit come now. So that we will not fall away. May teach us Christ in these truths. May we be faithful. In Jesus name, Amen. Easy come, easy go. Weak gospel calls make for easy gospel denials. We invite people to invite Jesus into their heart, whatever that means. But do you ever hear the call... Take up your cross and follow after the Lord. Let us herald, absolutely, come to Jesus, all you are, who are weary and heavy laden, and He will give you rest. But let us not fail to also say that any who would come after Christ must take up their cross and follow after Him. And that whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever would lose his life for his sake will find it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was lamenting the absence of that latter call. In Germany in the 1930's when he wrote. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods it's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Easy come, easy go. Cheap grace is easily discarded. It's true, the grace of Christ is freely offered to sinners. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived perfectly to be the righteousness of all who would trust in him, who died in the stead of sinners, bearing wrath and judgment who rose from the grave, defeating our greatest foes, death and the devil. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But you cannot have the cross of Christ for you and not take up your own cross and follow after Him. D.A. Carson writes, Following Jesus costs something and may cost life itself. Yet not following Jesus means one is siding with a lost and hateful world. To warn prospective disciples of these unyielding realities. Serves to discourage spurious conversions and to foster true ones. Many Christians don't remain true because they are not true. They like the invitation to heavenly love, but they balk at the threat of worldly hate. Here we transition from love to hate. We transition from abiding in Christ's love to suffering the world's hate. We transition from the community of love, the church, to the community of hate the world. This is a tale that is nearly as old as the world itself. The seed of the serpent rising up in hatred against the seed of the woman. Cain murdering Abel. Jesus opens this passage saying, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Why does Jesus put it that way? I think the answer is simple. As you read this passage as a whole, it will become clear as we go through. If the world hates you, know that it hated me. What's he saying? Don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be perplexed by persecution. It's the same issue John addressed in his first letter when he wrote, "Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you." 1 John three thirteen. You may get upset by the preaching of the prosperity gospel. But I'm afraid every one of us demonstrates that same idol has taken some root in our heart. Whenever we are offended by persecution and it comes our way. We've forgotten that church history has been written in blood and that it continues to be writ large in bold red through much of the world. In the west, Christian faithfulness has pushed back the darkness. We are heirs to a heritage that has Salted and retarded, much wrought in the hearts of men. But in the wake of that faithfulness, the saints have grown soft. They're shocked by suffering. And our enemy has wisely, only slowly turned the heat. And we've made compromise after compromise. And as we now begin to more clearly approach a boil, it's being made plain that many are not in the pot. They're not Christians. But among those who are, there's a shock at the heat. And I pray you are armed right now that you will not be shocked. Saints, don't be surprised. Be ready. Why is it that we're hated? There are two intertwined reasons that Jesus leads with in verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. The world hates us because it hated Jesus. The world hates us because it still hates Jesus. The world's hatred of the saints is its hatred of our Savior. There's a lot of supposed love Veined for Jesus by this world. It's certain segments of the church and Christianity that are hated. And among those that are hated by this world, some, not all, some are hated precisely for this reason. Because Jesus is in them and they are in Jesus. Jesus, in union with us, suffered for our sins. We, in union with Jesus, as His righteousness is being worked out in us, suffer for His righteousness. I'm afraid, though that many supposed Christians are shocked by suffering because they've never been shocked by their own sin. Have you seen yourself As part of this world. Part of this Christ-hating world. Have you seen yourself alongside Jew and Gentile. Pilate and priest. Crowd and soldier. Crucifying our Lord. Taking part in that very darkness. And if you don't, I'm afraid you don't understand the gospel. Have you ever thought of yourself as Luther said, we carry about the nails in our pockets? You're shocked by suffering, perhaps because you've never been shocked by salvation. Ephesians 2, 1-5, you were being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This salvation separates us from the world. We were, but we are no longer. We've been chosen out of this world. That's one reason we suffer. We suffer... You see how these are intertwined? We suffer because the world hates Jesus. and We're in Jesus and Jesus is in us. And second, we're hated because then we're not of this world. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. First John 4, 5 tells us that those who pervert the truth of Christ are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. When you speak, Christ, the world hates you. When they speak, the world listens. And the language that's used for the spirit of the world there in 1 John 4 is that of Antichrist. Antichrist. Too many are thinking the Antichrist is something out there, distant, in the future. No, this world is Antichrist. And you're in Christ. We're not of this world. We're chosen by Christ, out of it. Sanctified, set apart, holy unto God. We are a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We have been crucified to this world and the world to us, Galatians 6.14. We are, as Peter says, 1 Peter 2.11, we are sojourners and exiles. We are chosen by He who is the light of the world, and then He tells us, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. This world is a kingdom of darkness that has a severe xenophobia, to the children of light. Paul tells us at one time. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Galatians. Ephesians 5.8 Children of light don't be naive. When you walk out of your doors. Whenever you walk inside your doors. You are on enemy occupied territory hostile to your king. John Barrage, an Anglican minister of the 18th century, wrote, A kick from the world does believers less harm than a kiss. Saints learn to recognize the world's kisses as curses and its blows as blessings. You see how these reasons are intertwined. We are not in this world because we're in Christ. The world has hated Christ, it hates us. Jesus' next line of reasoning makes plain the absurdity of expecting anything less than the world's hate. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We serve a crucified Lord. Are we greater than the Son of God? Jesus said this to them, a servant is not greater than his master, in chapter 13, in the upper room. There He said it in reference to serving one another. Now He says it in reference to suffering from this world. But the principle carries over, He is our Lord. And this means we must serve like Him, And it means we must expect to suffer like Him. In the body, serve as Christ served us. And from this world, expect suffering as our Lord received it. Matthew 10 is Jesus' fullest explication on what we can expect from this world. I encourage you to take a moment this afternoon and prayerfully read it. The whole chapter. But there Jesus says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town... Lead to the next, for truly I say to you, they will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? The world's response to us. Is its response to our Lord. All these things. They will do to you on account of my name. Backing up verse 20. If they persecuted me they also persecute you. If they kept my word they will also keep yours. Now the first line of application here. If they kept my word they will also keep yours. The first line of application is the apostles. As they speak The very words of Christ. Record the very words of Christ. But those apostolic truths. From Christ. About Christ. Are entrusted to the church. And we too are in Christ. And Christ is in us. And we've been sent by the Son. As the Son was sent by the Father. And we'll soon be reminded. That how one deals with the Son. Is how one deals with the Father. And likewise, how one deals with the church is how one deals with Christ. They hate the body because they hate the head. They hate the bride because they hate her bridegroom. They hate the branches because they hate the vine. They do these things on account of the name of Christ because they do not know the Father. Saints, whenever you suffer for the right reasons, remember what those right reasons are. You suffer for His namesake. Remember the words of Christ. The discourse for the disciples, the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now we can add, so they persecuted our Lord. When the authorities arrested, imprisoned, beat, released, and charged the apostles not to speak anymore the name of Jesus. We read, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Saints, don't be shocked by suffering for your Savior. Savior, Count it in honor why were they not shocked? Because of these words. May these words abide in you now. So that you abide in Christ. Faithful to the end. Why does this world hate Christ so? You get enough of an idea. As Jesus turns from the world's hate to the world's guilt. Verses 22-25. through 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Because of Jesus, they're guilty of sin. It's not that they were guiltless, sinless before Christ. But now because of Christ, they're guilty of great sin. One that's plain to them in a way. One that exposes them. And in doing so, they've sinned against the remedy for sin. It's the greatness of it. John three nineteen through 20 This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. As light draws near, the darkness is exasperated, it's illuminated, and it is intensified. It resolves to be darker yet still. The principle of judgment that's at work here is the same one Jesus spoke of in Luke 11. The queen of the south will rise up at judgment At the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Jews are not in the dark for lack of light. The intensity of light intensifies their guilt and judgment. And the magnitude of their guilt can be seen in that hating Jesus, they hate the Father. Verse 23. This is because Jesus doesn't simply come as light exposing their darkness. He comes as light revealing the Father. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus has just told the disciples, 14 verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Earlier in John, we saw that the works that Jesus does are the works His Father does. John 5.19, so His works reveal the Father. And those works are given to the Son by the Father to testify to the Son. Here's the greatness of their guilt. They've sinned against the Father's revelation of the Son. They've sinned against the Son's revelation of the Father. They've sinned against the Spirit's witness to the Son as a witness to the Father. And they've sinned in their doing all of this in grace. They've sinned against them. The revelation of the gospel. This is a sin against the Father who gave His only begotten Son. This is a sin against the Son who loved His Father unto death. This is a sin against the Spirit who anointed the Son as sent by the Father. All in grace to sinners. How great is this sin? Sin in the dark is evil. Sin in the light is a greater evil. Sin in the greatest light is the greatest of evils. Dear souls... Many of you are guilty of such sin. Every one of us here, nearly, I would guess, was guilty of this sin when God saved us. Because you heard the gospel a whole lot before you believed it. And there's some of you that that guilt still hangs over your head. You've sinned in the light You've sinned against great light. J.C. Ryle warns. Let us settle it down. As a first principle in our religion. That religious privileges. Are in a certain sense. Very dangerous things. If they do not help us toward heaven. They will only sink us deeper into hell. To whomsoever much is given of him, much shall much be required. Luke 12, 48, Raoul continues. He that dwells in a land of open Bibles and preach gospel, yet dreams, he will stand in the judgment day on the same level with an untaught Chinese, is fearfully deceived. He will find to his own cost, except he repents, that his judgment will be according to his light. Dear soul, know this: the Father counts indifference to his son as hatred. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting him, and finding that a work of God, so that you love him with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind I don't care how you feel about Jesus it is hatred it's not what he's worthy and do don't excuse it don't give soft names to it if you do not receive this great grace you will bear great guilt all the greater for your refusal of this grace believe on the Lord Jesus Christ And you need bear that guilt no more. But behold how impotent man's hatred is. Verse 25. Behold the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus speaks of the Holy Scriptures there as their law. Not to disparage the law. But to disparage them. Your law. You do nothing but break it. And in breaking it. Still you do nothing but fulfill it. Psalm ninety five, King David cried out, Let those who rejoice over me, let, let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye, let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. That prayer was fully heard when it's offered up by David's greater son. And the resurrection is the vindication of God's King. He did not allow them to wink. He did not allow them to rejoice. Man is impotent in his hate. God is mighty in his love. Man's hate only served God's love. Sinner, your hatred of God is impotent. It will mean nothing. But God is mighty to save. For those who will spurn this mighty love, there is guilt. Great guilt. The greatest of guilt. The greatest of sins cannot be committed in pagan temples. The greatest of sins is committed in Christ-preaching churches. Look at your soul right now. This is a day of either great salvation or great guilt. Every time the gospel is preached that opportunity is before you don't spurn it again Jesus is born witness to the father the father's born witness to the son but soon Jesus says the spirit will bear witness by the apostles and thereafter the implication the church as she's empowered by the spirit and entrusted with those Spirit-inspired words of the apostles, will bear witness. The crucifixion of our Lord, you're still seeing here the impotence of man's hate. The crucifixion of our Lord only serves to multiply this witness. The connection of what's being said here, I think, is made more plain in 16, 7 through 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It's a crucified Lord risen in glory going away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Why are we hated? Because as we go forward, empowered by the Spirit, testifying to Christ, Christ is put before them. The light shines still. They're convicted. Their sin's illuminated. Sinner, don't think that because Jesus isn't here, because the disciples are gone, you escape this responsibility. Christ is present to you by the Spirit-inspired words of the apostles, and the Spirit anoints you to testify of those apostolic truths. And to those apostles who were with Him from the beginning... Jesus promised the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John 14, 26. What they remembered, we've been entrusted with. What we've been entrusted with, the Spirit empowers us to proclaim. What we proclaim, the Spirit then uses to convict. Jesus ends by making explicit what was implicit In his opening, why is Jesus saying these things? He doesn't want us to be surprised by suffering. He gives two reasons in 16, 1 through 4, as to why he's telling them these things. First, to keep you from falling away. That phrase in the ESV is a single word in the original language, to keep you from falling away. It's a word that we get our English word scandal from. I've told you this, so you will not be scandalized by suffering. Don't take offense at it. Whenever Jesus told the crowd that they must eat His flesh and drink His blood, we read that even some of the disciples grumbled. Not the eleven, but others who were following Him. And Jesus used the same word whenever he asked them, do you take offense at this? He does not want us to take offense at persecution. The greatest danger under persecution that we face is not affliction from without, but apostasy or compromise within Our greatest danger is not however great a thing we might suffer from without, but not being sustained and strengthened from within in the face of it. Expect persecution and expect those who deal it out to play as though they have the moral high ground. Verses 2 and 3. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They may say that they're for tolerance and love and, and humility and peace. They may say that exclusive religion promotes hate. They may say that we're on the wrong side of history. That we're not for human progress. They may dismiss our claims as irrelevant, saying that all spiritualities are of equal value, but those are all justifications for hating Jesus, who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through Him. So there's nothing greater than the love of Jesus. And to deny that love, to compromise that love, is not Loving. It's hatred of the one who's worthy of all love. And it's hatred of the ones who say we're hateful. Second, Jesus tells them these things, he says, so that they might remember them, verse 4. That when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus has been with them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus has been with them. He will soon be with them no more. But He will send the Spirit. And the Spirit will be with them such that they remember these things. And what they remember, they will record. And what they've recorded, we've received. And what we've received, we've received so that we will not recant. But persevere in faith and love. So we've turned now in this Upper Room Discourse, from abiding in Christ's love to the hatred of this world, do you see that Jesus is still wanting to comfort us with the comfort of the Comforter? The comfort that Jesus extends to us here is not one of looking at the world through rose-colored lenses. The comfort, or to change the, the metaphor, it's not the comfort... Of giving us a snapshot of this world with a filter. Here's the world, no filter in all its ugliness. It hates Jesus. We were once a part of this world. We were league with this world, but by grace we've been delivered out of it. We should not be naive as to the nature of this world that we walk in. We see its own ugliness abiding in us still. But now we hate our hatred and we long for the day of deliverance. Now the comfort that Christ offers us here is the comfort of himself. It's because we're in Christ and Christ is in us that we suffer. It's for his namesake that we suffer. That's the comfort. And if we share in his sufferings, we will share in his glory. 2 Corinthians 1.5 for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Or as Romans 8.17 tells us, if we suffer with Him, we will be glorified with Him. Richard Sibbs said, The very sufferings of Christ are better than the most glorious day of the greatest monarch in the world that is not a Christian. It is better to suffer with Christ than to joy with the world. The very abasement of Paul was better than the triumph of Nero. The very sufferings and reproach of Christ and of religion is better than the best thing in the world. And Thomas Brooks gives us some insight into why this is so. When the world frowns most, then generally God smiles most. When the world puts its iron chains on the saints legs, then God puts his golden chains about their necks. When the world puts a bitter cup into one hand, then the Lord puts a cup of consolation into the other. When the world cries out, crucify them, crucify them, then they commonly hear that voice from heaven. These are my beloved ones with whom I am well pleased. What are this world's persecutions compared with heaven's praises? What, are, what is the hatred of this world compared to the love of heaven? What are the world's kicks compared to heaven's kisses? Saints, do not be scandalized by suffering. Be ready for it. Be ready to suffer for your Savior. And you will be ready for glory with your sovereign. Let's pray. holy father grant us the boldness and zealness zeal of paul conform us to the image of your son Convict us concerning our idols. Our idolatry of self and our comfort. How we perceive. We want others to perceive us. Think about us. Esteem us. For seeking glory from this world. Father keep us steadfast. Faithful. May we love your words. May they abide in us. May we not compromise. Give us perception, so that we wouldn't make a number of small compromises that put us into a position to easily make a big one. May we recognize and be alert and aware we are on enemy ground, and there are lies bombarding us from every direction, and may we remain stalwart, a bulwark for the truth, for the cause of Christ. By your grace, we are frail and we are weak. Keep us, Lord. Pour out your blessing on your persecuted church. Not, as so many of them who have been faithful in such a time, not that they'd, they'd be delivered out of that, though we would ask that, but they would be faithful and glorify your name and count it an honor. May we look at our brothers and sisters in that and be ashamed of ourselves and be zealous to be so earnest for the cause of Christ. May we see this fleeting life for what it is. An opportunity to magnify you above all. Count the cost and say it's worth it for the sake of our King. Oh Lord Jesus, help us. And with that Spirit upon us, May it be part of a revival of your people, a testimony to this world, and may it draw people to a true love of Christ that takes up their cross and follows Him as Lord. In the name of Christ we pray and ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.